great to see a Purpose Church online. I am so glad that we're together today. Good, good to see you. Good to have you here, wherever you are uh, watching and joining us. We are so glad uh, to be together. And I just want to start my message by putting us all in a good mood. Uh, here's a picture of Cooper Cup, uh, the Super Bowl MVP for the world champion, Los Angeles Rams. And uh, here he is. This is the famous catch uh, that won the game towards the end of the game. And uh, I'm going to have more about Cooper Cup uh, towards the end of uh, my message at the very end. Uh, he uh, is the uh, really on fire Christian. He's got a great testimony. And I want to share some of that uh, at the end of our uh, time together. And also, here's a picture of our sound man. Jeremy Reinders, he's the one on the, on the left here, uh, who helped to do um, sound at the Super Bowl last Sunday. And uh, he's the one on our left there. Uh, here's the sound booth that he, they were operating from. And so just think about that for a minute. We get Jeremy back uh, today because uh, he's been tied up with doing sound for the Rams and Chargers games, which has been nonstop all fall, and we finally get him back here. But just think about that. The guy that, one of the guys that does the sound for the Super Bowl is our sound man uh, here at Purpose Church and how uh, blessed we are. Okay, let's continue our series, Seeing Jesus Through the Eyes of Luke. And the title of today's study is Table Talk from Luke chapter 14. You know, when I was a kid growing up, we did the same prayer every night for dinner. It was a Swedish prayer because my dad was a Swedish Norwegian. And so we did the same prayer, very brief, because we wanted to eat as, as quickly as possible. And here's how that prayer went that I said every night of my life uh, as a kid. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest let this food to us be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Short, to the point, get to eating. But uh, it's a great prayer, isn't it? Jesus at our table, be our guest. And what would it be like to have Jesus as a guest at your dinner table? It would be a wonderful thing, but it could also be a very challenging thing as well as some of the Pharisees that invited Jesus over for dinner are going to find out in this passage from the book of Luke. So we're going to look at four lessons from just one meal with Jesus. Wow. We're going to see so many things that he challenged us about and that we can learn from just sitting down at one table talk, one, one meal conversation over one dinner. Uh, the first lesson is a lesson in sympathy. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now, this was not a nice meal among friends that loved each other. He was on trial. He, he was there so they could lay a trap for him. They were looking for things to criticize him about. By the way, there's just a little bit of a sidebar. I heard a great quote from Ray Johnson last week. He said, never listen to anyone's criticism who you wouldn't listen to for wisdom. Have you ever been dragged down by criticism and, and constructive criticism is a very helpful thing, but don't listen to any criticism 
from somebody that you wouldn't go to and say, hey, I need some advice on this. I need some wisdom. And they, and you know they've got your best interest at heart. Uh, only listen to their criticism if you would also go to them uh, for wisdom. Okay, let's pick it back up in verse 2. There in front of him was a man suffering. There was a man who was suffering in front of Jesus, uh, in front of the other, the Pharisees as well. But they didn't care. Only Jesus cared that this man was suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? This was a trap that they had laid for him. Uh, if he Maybe they'd even brought the man in there, you know, to, to their dinner. Probably the only way that man would have been at the dinner is if the Pharisees were using him as a trap to ensnare Jesus. So if Jesus doesn't heal him, he lacks compassion. But if he does heal him, he's broken the law of not working on the Sabbath that the Pharisees had. And what's just so sad here is that the Pharisees don't care about this man. They just want to use him for their evil purposes. Uh, they had no real concern for him. They just wanted to use his disability as a way to trap and to attack and to criticize Jesus. Pick it up with verse 4. But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull, pull it out? And they had nothing to say. And Jesus is saying, if, if the Sabbath is a holy day, then we should fill it with holy deeds, worship, the study of God's word, serving. That's what we should, that's how we should use uh, the Sabbath day. Now we should treat, Jesus said, every person in, in God's image uh, the way we would treat our own child. Let's go back one verse there where he talks about child and ox. We, we should treat every person made in the image of God, even complete strangers. Uh, we should treat them with dignity like we would our own child. And we should certainly treat other people better than our own animals. Jesus was saying, you care more about your animal, your ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day than you do this poor man who was suffering. We should certainly treat people better than our animals. Here's a picture of our two dogs, Hazel and Floyd. And uh, Hazel is the extrovert and Floyd is the introvert. And, and, and we treat them well, but we should never treat them better than we treat human beings. That should always uh, be our priority. And then a lesson in humility, uh, picking it up now, with verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, they were all scrambling for the number one spots. They wanted a, the place of honor. They wanted to sit with the important people. They wanted to sit with the cool people. He told them this parable when he saw this. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. That would have been so radical. That would have been so countercultural to, to the people that were there. Don't take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. 
If so, the host who invited both of you will come and will say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important seat. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. Only Jesus, only Jesus. This would have been so, such a crazy concept. So so counterintuitive to the way they had been wired. Take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves, they're the ones that will be exalted. And it's God is who does the exalting. It's God who does the humbling. It's God who picks the, the seats. It's God who judges. Psalm 75, verse 7. It is God who judges. He brings one down and he exalts another. And we can see this in so many ways, can't we? Uh, the Apostle Paul, for example, at the end of his life, he was uh, sitting in prison. And the Roman Emperor Nero, at that time, at the end of his life, was sitting on a throne. So here's Paul, end of his life, sitting in prison. Here's Nero, Roman Emperor, sitting on a throne at the end of his life. And yet today, we name our sons Paul, and we name our dogs Nero. Uh, God is the one who judges. Let's bring that verse back. Psalm 75, verse 7. It is God who judges. He brings one down and he exalts another. The French writer Voltaire uh, predicted that Christianity would be extinct within 100 years of his death. But do you know, just around the 50th anniversary of his death, his home was purchased by uh, a Bible uh, printing society, and his home was purchased uh, for a Bible society headquarters. The man's home, who said, within a hundred years, uh, Christianity will disappear. He was humbled. His home was taken, and and produced, and uh, held uh, God's word in order to share it with other people. God exalts one; He humbles another. Uh, Jim Cimbala, who wrote the book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Uh, Pastor Eric Holmstrom and his wife, Sarah, they've been reading this book. And he shared this quote with me. He said, God is attracted to weakness. Think about that for a moment. God is attracted to weakness. Weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. Our weakness, in fact, makes room for his power. Maya Angelou says, what humility does for one is it reminds us that there are people before me. I've already been paid for. And what I need to do is prepare myself so that I can pay for someone else who has yet to come, but who may be here and who needs me. And so we've had a lesson in sympathy and a lesson in uh, humility, and now comes a lesson in generosity. Verse 12, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends. We'll explain what this actually means here in just a moment. 
says, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. Now, Jesus is not against showing hospitality to those who have the ability to pay us back. He's saying, he's not saying we can never have those over for dinner. Uh, What we have here is the tense of the Greek verb uh, in this verse. Literally means when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not always keep inviting your friends or do not only invite your friends or don't make it the habit of, that's that's all you do. Don't, Don't get into the habit of only entertaining people who can entertain you back, but go beyond that. Go beyond. There's a place for that, but there's also a place, Jesus said, to go beyond those that can pay you back and and do it as a blessing and and reach out to a people that can't repay you or that there's no advantage in your relationship with them. So you're not just using people, but instead you reach beyond uh, your comfort zone. He goes on to say in verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of of, of the righteous. And so he says to go beyond just the people we're comfortable with, the people that are like us, the, the people we like, and reach beyond that to people that Jesus sees and as followers of Jesus we need to see as well. Romans 12, verse 13, Paul writes, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Peter says, uh, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And one of my favorite verses here uh, on this is Hebrews 13, verse two. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Wow, is that one of the coolest verses in the Bible? That sometimes when you reach out in love to somebody that that you don't know or or, or that can't repay you, you might actually be be reaching out and serving an angel uh, without knowing it. And then the very, very famous passage in Matthew chapter 25 then the righteous will answer him, will answer Jesus. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothes you? But boy, that almost goes through the ministries that we have here at our church here in the city of Pomona and beyond. It's almost like that list that Jesus just said, that, that is the mission of, of Purpose Church throughout the Inland Empire and in the city of Pomona? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. A Mother Teresa said, if you can't feed a hundred people, then just, just feed one. Start where you can. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, every man and woman must decide whether he will walk in the light of creative altruism or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. Uh, There's a Nigerian proverb that says, it is the heart that does the giving, the fingers 
only let go. And then a lesson in opportunity. And there's three parts to this. First of all, the first part is preparation. Verse 15, when one of those at the table with Jesus heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of of God. And Jesus replied, as a result, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. Now Jesus compares salvation to a big meal, big banquet, big feast. That's what salvation is. That's what, that's what heaven is. It's one of the pictures of heaven uh, where we're fed, where our needs are met, and where we reach out and bring in other people to join us at God's table in heaven someday uh, in, in eternity. Uh, John chapter 4, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water uh, springing up to eternal life, welling up to eternal life. Isaiah writes in chapter 55, Come, all you are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy. We we were created, you were created for eternity. That's why the stuff of this life doesn't satisfy us. It satisfies us for a while, but then after a while, it, it doesn't satisfy us anymore. Why? Because you were made for more than this. It says Solomon said to Ecclesiastes that God has placed eternity in every human heart. He stamped every person's heart with eternity. And that's why the stuff of this life does not ultimately satisfy. So Isaiah says, why do you put all your effort and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. And then John 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, he's talking to the Jewish people here, ate the manna in the wilderness with with Moses. Yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live uh, forever. And so the meal is prepared. Uh, The meal is prepared. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be fed, so that we could have the living water within us. And so the meal, he he died on the cross, rose from the grave. The meal is prepared. All you have to do is just simply come to it. You just got to come to it. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. I tell you, now is the day of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Come uh, to the dinner table with Jesus. It's all prepared. And then there's an invitation in verse 17. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Now in the Middle East, at that time, it was customary to send an initial invitation in advance and then another invitation when the feast was actually prepared. 
And it's very similar to our save the date that we do now. You know, you'll get a save the date, uh, first uh, invitation to, to something, usually a wedding. And then later on, you'll get the specific date. Well, it's the same thing back in the Middle East at this time. They get an initial invitation and then the servants would go out to say, okay, the, the meal's ready. Uh, now's the time uh, for you to come. Uh, Warren Wearsby writes, come, the word come is certainly one of the great words of the gospel. Religion tells the sinner to do or to go, perhaps on a pilgrimage, or to do this list of legalistic do's and avoid these don'ts, or maybe pay, or hope, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope I'm good enough at the end of my life for God to take me into heaven. But Christ simply says to all, come. Jesus doesn't say like religion, do, go, pay, or hope. Christ simply says, come to the table. It's the difference, difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus is the difference between do and done. All the world's religions, all the world's philosophies are what you must do to be made right with God. But only followers of Jesus, the gospel of Christ is D-O-N-E. This is what has been done for you. Christ has died on the cross for you. Jesus rose from the grave. It has been done. Now you, all you have to do is come. And it's, it's for everyone. Uh, someone that once said the word come stands for C, for children. O, for older people. M, for middle-aged people. E, for everybody. The invitation is for everybody. You know, I heard a speaker say this last week, and I, I thought this was like just the coolest thing about how everybody is welcome uh, to, to follow Jesus. And it's an example of the diversity in the early church. Just marvelous. Just looking at the leaders, the five leaders uh, of the early church in Antioch. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And then it names um, five of them here. Barnabas, who was from Cyprus, so he's the Greek guy, okay? He's the Greek guy. And then there's Simeon called Niger. And Niger in, in Greek means black. And so we've got Barnabas, the Greek guy. Then we've got Simeon, the black guy. And then we have Lucius, which in the Greek uh, means light. And so he's the white guy. So we've got the Greek guy, the black guy, and the white guy. And then there's Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So he's the rich guy. And then you've got Saul. He's the Jewish guy. Sounds like a joke, doesn't it? A Greek guy, a black guy, a white guy, a rich guy. And a Jewish guy walk into a bar. But in this case, they walk into a church because they are the church. Because everyone is welcome. All are welcome. And you saw that right in the beginning of, of the early church. And it continues to this day. Revelation 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. You know, this word come 
It indicates the simplicity of salvation, the availability of salvation. And yet it also talks about the responsibility. When we have an invitation, when God says, come, he's done his part. The preparations are there. The invitation has been extended. Now it's our responsibility to respond to that invitation. Now you would think that everybody would respond enthusiastically and come to the feast. That's what you would think. But unfortunately, watch what happens here. Continuing in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Now, Jesus is doing a little bit of humor here, okay, between the lines. Who buys some real estate before they've even seen it? Nobody does that. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, which was a major investment back then. And I'm on my way to try them out. Are you kidding me? What if they have some physical problems? What if a couple of the oxen are lame? It's like buying a car before you've test driven it. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Well, why can't you bring your wife with you if you just got married? Uh, they, they didn't reject the invitation, however, because of bad things. I mean, they didn't say, can't come because I'm going to, I'm going to do a robbery on a home tonight. I'm going to rob a bank. Can't come because I'm going to murder somebody. Can't come because I'm going to do an economic fraud, financial fraud on my business. No, no, it wasn't because of bad things. I mean, real estate and plowing and marriage, these are all good things. Here's the problem is they were rejecting the best and settling for second best. And so many times, we don't reject Christ, and we don't reject fully following Him because of bad things. You know, okay, I can't do that. I got to do these terrible things over here. No. You know what we do? We settle for second best. We're busy, busy, busy with second best things rather than the best that God has in store for us. Here were the causes behind their excuses. Number one, they didn't know their own deep needs. They didn't realize how much they needed what God was offering. Number two, they could not realize what, what, they, were, what they were missing. They, they hadn't come, and so they didn't realize what they were missing. Number three, they had no respect for the one who invited them. And then number four, they thought they would get a second chance. Uh, the first two made an excuse. They said, please excuse me, thinking they would get another chance. Only the third one, the one, the guy got married, he said, well, I, well, I can't come. But the other two said, please excuse me. They thought they were going to get a second chance, but that chance was not going to happen. This was their only chance. And that leads to number three, which is condemnation. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported to his master, then the owner of the house became angry. God is angry when his invitation to come is not responded to. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. 
Uh, Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's, there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in. We should come to Christ, but then we should have a sense of urgency to compel our friends, what we call our oikos, the eight to 15 in our sphere of influence, the Greek word for household, our friends and neighbors to compel them to come in. When we, as Pastor Josh preached last Sunday, when we open up our new worship center, it's a, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity that first month that we're in there to compel people, to invite people, to compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited and rejected the invitation will get a taste of my banquet. Why did they refuse the invitation? Romans 3.18 says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. They didn't respect or have a, a healthy fear and respect for the one who, in, who invited them. A God's invitation is not a suggestion. It is a command. Acts 17, verse 30. Uh, he, God, commands all people everywhere. Uh, that's, that's our motto, our purpose as a church. Here at Purpose Church, everyone everywhere following Jesus. He, God, commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, why did these outsiders accept the invitation while the insiders refused it? It's because they knew their need. The, 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 the crippled and the blind and the lame and, and the poor, they, they knew their need. And so when the invitation came to come to the banquet, they responded. Isaiah, God says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. And I want to give you a chance to do that right now. To come to God's table of salvation. Come to his invitation to join him in heaven for eternity. Three words I want you to pray with me. Sorry, God, I'm sorry for the sin and the wrongdoing in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for preparing the, the table for me. As it says in, in the 23rd Psalm, thou preparest a table before me. Christ came into the world. He died on the cross and he rose from the grave in order to prepare the banquet for us, to, to prepare for us to join him in heaven. Thank you. And then please, please, Jesus, I come and I receive your invitation to join you at this, at this great banquet that Jesus talks about. Would you pray silently as I pray out loud? Oh God, pray with me just silently wherever you are there on your couch, in your living room, um, uh, listening later on somewhere at your computer. Oh God, uh, I'm sorry, but thank you, Jesus, for preparing the way for me to be made right with God and to join you at this, at this feast, at this dinner, at this banquet. Now, please, uh, come into my heart. I want you to be my Savior, and I want to follow you as, as my Lord. I come. I come to you now. I receive 
your invitation. You've prepared the way. You've invited me. You say, come. And I say, here I am, Lord. I am coming to you. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of you that agree with me and agree with that prayer, would you say out loud with me, amen and amen.